Hey friends, welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers at all. I'm Tim McNinch, and it's just me this time. Rachel Wren has the week off. So, dear listeners, it's just you and me this time around, and we're looking together at Exodus 17, 1-7, the first reading for March 15th, which is also the third Sunday in the Christian season of Lent. Now, one of the scriptural models for the season of Lent is Jesus' 40 days in the desert being tempted by the devil, which was the gospel reading for the first week of Lent. And if your biblical imagination is attuned to it, you might recognize that Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness of temptation is framed in the Gospels as a recapitulation, a sort of do-over, of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness before they entered the land. This week's first reading takes us back to that moment, where the people of Israel are stuck between their liberation from Egypt and their arrival in a new homeland. So for a bit of context, our reading comes after the escape from Egypt and the dramatic parting of the sea and all the celebration of God's deliverance with poetry and song. But just as soon as the last note of Miriam's song fades out, the grumbling begins. The people are hungry, and in their weakness they complain against Moses and Aaron, and by extension against God. God's response in that case was a miraculous provision of quail for meat and that mysterious manna for bread. If you're reading carefully, you might have noticed in 1527 that they happened to be camped at a place called Elim where there were 12 springs of water. That's convenient, one for each tribe, but at least their thirst is provided for. But after the quail and manna, they move along to a new place called Rechidim, where there was no water, and in their thirst the people grumble again, and God provides an abundant spring of water from the rocky side of a mountain when Moses strikes it with his staff. Now, when I was reading this passage again this week, I got to the end of the paragraph and thought, now, wait a minute, didn't Moses get in trouble for striking the rock? So I was confusing this story with a very similar one in Numbers 20. That story appears to be a doublet of this one. That is, it's either a reinterpretation of this story or a retelling from the same legend. Even the place where it happens in Numbers 20 is called Meribah, Merivah, just like it is in our Exodus reading. But in the story in Numbers, Moses is told only to speak to the rock. So when he strikes it with his staff, God takes that divergence from the instructions as enough cause to prevent Moses from entering the promised land. That's a really strange and interesting twist on the story. But back here in Exodus, there's none of that. God tells Moses to strike the rock. He does. And water's provided for the people. So what's the exegetical takeaway here? I think we can get toward that by recognizing a couple of key words in the Hebrew text. 17.7, the last verse of this week's reading, says, He, Moses, called the place Massah and Merivah on account of the quarrel of the Israelites and their testing of the Lord by saying, Is the Lord in our midst or not? Those two words, Massah and Merivah, mean testing and quarreling from the Hebrew roots Nassah and Riv. And they come up earlier in the paragraph, back in verse 2, where it reports that the people quarreled, the Yarev, with Moses, and Moses complains to them, why are you quarreling with me, Trivun, and why do you test, Tnesun, the Lord? 
So these themes of testing and quarreling frame this story. And both of these themes are presented negatively in the text as obstacles to the people's flourishing under God's care. But notice here how Moses responds to the people and how God responds to the people. Moses is kind of freaked out. He cries out to God, what do I do with these people? They're on the edge of stoning me. God, on the other hand, responds confidently and compassionately. God doesn't seem to take offense, at least in this story, to the grumbling of the people and their challenge. Is God really in our midst? God understands that their attitude comes from their thirst and provides the needed water. God is also attentive to Moses' needs. The people have lost confidence in Moses as a leader and as a representative of God. So in this story, God puts Moses front and center in the provision of the needed water. God tells Moses to perform the miracle with witnesses from among the elders of the people so that when it happens, they can spread the word that God is still empowering Moses as their leader. Also, importantly, God specifically mentions to use the same staff with which Moses struck the Nile as a way to remind the elders of what God had done in the past through Moses. And of course, it all works out in this story. So that leads me to a way or two that you could turn this passage toward a sermon. First of all, yes, part of the story is a warning against grumbling against leaders and questioning God's faithfulness. But I think that this text also acknowledges that such things are a part of actual human experience. It's not sort of hypothetical. It's not make sure you never grumble and never test God. I think it's more like when you find yourselves grumbling and doubting God's care for you, remember this. I think the main heart of this text is reassurance, which only works when our assurance is already faltering. So preachers, set this in the context of our actual experience of grumbling and doubt. It'll be a better interpretation of the text, and it'll make your sermon more potent and encouraging. Along those lines, one potential way to get at that is to highlight that in this story, Moses is just about as faithless as the rest of the people. He's not approaching God from a perspective of faith, but a perspective of fear. What do I do? They're going to stone me. So God's reassurance here in this text is for the people and, in a big way, for Moses too. So for those of you who are in leadership positions as a pastor or a preacher, rather than using this text to berate your congregation for their doubts or as a preventative against wavering in their faith, this would be a great opportunity to open up to your own experiences of wondering where God is as a leader and why God seems missing in action. Identify with the spiritual experience of your congregation and then use this text to show that God can handle our doubts, that God is still willing to be present with us. Finally, just as God pointed out Moses' famous Nile-striking staff as a reminder of how God had come through in the past as well as in the present, Find stories of when God has come through in big ways for your congregation and weave those stories into your sermon to remind your hearers, and maybe yourself too, that God is faithful even when we struggle with our doubts. Okay, well that's probably where I'll need to stop for now. 
But do tune in next week. We'll have Rachel back and we'll continue our walk through the first readings of Lent. I'm Tim McNinch. Thanks for listening.